this series in the middle. I'm excited to get into it again. Pastor Jerry did a great job in the middle of the desert last week. How many of you have done the desert before? We were in the desert. I don't know where water comes from. It just is, you turn the tap on, it's there, but there's no water anywhere. There's no water anywhere. Lindsay actually panics when she's around places that have water scarcity. She's like, she's like angry at designers that put fountains in at resorts. She's like, what are you doing? There's no water. I said, honey, they recirculate that water. Okay, I'm okay with it now. I like it. It was the wildest thing to get there. It's 40 degrees Celsius. And we get there, batteries are dying on cars. It's just kind of like the opposite of Saskatchewan in the wintertime. Everybody's battery dies when it hits 40 below for the first time. Everybody's, it's the same thing there. But there's just something about the ability to thrive in the desert. There are places where I can't make out any water, but there's a speck of green with a little yellow flower. Have you seen that before? How many have seen that? popping out of the ground. I, I actually think that that's some of the amazing creative nature of God that he said, I can make something grow anywhere. And so you might feel today like you're in the middle of the worst time of your life. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. <laughs> Get ready to grow. The middle sucks. You can point one. No, I'm just kidding. It does. It stinks. Nobody likes waiting. Have you heard that phrase? I can't wait. Well, you're going to have to. Some of you are going to go get in line for a coffee afterwards. It's going to be all you can do to wait. Four people in front of you to wait. I don't want to wait. I can't wait. I can't wait till Christmas. We hear that. I can't wait till my vacation. Here's one we hear a lot of, especially in our church because we're starting to creep up into the, there's a large group of people that are 50 plus in here. I can't wait until I can retire. I can't wait. I can't wait till I'm finished university, right? So, well, you're going to have to. Because there's this designated season or time that's been established for you to have to accomplish your goal and for you to become developed enough to be able to be who you want to be. And I don't know what desert you're facing right now in your life, but don't waste it. Don't waste what God is doing in this moment. Don't get so consumed with what you don't have that you miss out on what you do have. So you might not have any money, but every person in here has access to the Word of God. You may not have any friends, but every person in here has access to the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one who can be with you. I don't think that God ever intended for us to say, all we need is Jesus, brother. That's not true. You need people. This is literally the design of God. If you have a problem with that statement, you need to back up all the way to the beginning of the book. When literally Adam and God were together, no distractions. I just want to have Jesus. I just need to get in my prayer closet. I need the Holy Ghost. That's it. I'm just me and the Holy Spirit. 
And I understand that for a time, he has to fill that place of husband, or he has to fill that place of friend, or he has to fill that place that's empty. But he never designed you to do life alone. In fact, he said, it's not good that you'd be alone. So he created another person. This is powerful. One of the things I know about being with people is they help you get through the middle. <laughs> Come on now. Don't shout any louder than that all morning. Don't do it. Don't do it. They help you get through the middle. They walk with you. They stand with you. They encourage you. They discourage you. They rub you raw. But God uses people to develop us. Hmm. I've been thinking about the Word of God. The Word of God is as good as cash in your pocket. I'm not talking about money, but that's the best metaphor. The Word of God is as good as cheesecake on the fork. The Word of God is as good as good. You have no need to worry when you've got a word. Will you worry? Sure. How many have had a word from God and still worried? Be honest. Wave around. My grandmother would say, tell the truth, shame the devil. Come on. How many of you have had a word from God and you still worried? But did you know you don't have to worry? You don't have to. Because if he gives you a good word, it's as good as done. Amen. I'm glad I brought my own amen with me this morning. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10. We're not going to put them all up, but I'll read it with you seek the Lord while he may be found while he's near let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts ways and thoughts thoughts and ways ways and thoughts thoughts and ways ways and thoughts thoughts and ways grace and truth thoughts and ways grace and truth let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Verse 8, young people, you ready? I must be getting old if I use the word young people. Holy smokes, when did that happen? For my thoughts are not your. Come on now. You gotta, I know Pastor Malachi and Jenna are taking care of you in this department, all right? For my thoughts are not your, and my ways are not your declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My job as pastor in this church is not to fix you. My job is to try to help you to learn to think like God thinks. That's the goal. Because when we get a hold of his thoughts and then to learn his ways. That's why I really challenge people when they want to prophesy. Don't prophesy from kind of the place where the demons and angels are fighting because everything's going to be dark and gloomy. I don't need you to prophesy that there's a war going on. I don't need you to do that. I don't need you. What I want to hear is from the third heaven. What is Jesus saying on his throne? What is being said in the, in the presence of God? What is being said there? I don't need you to tell me that these are dark days, brother. I know. We all know. It doesn't take a scientist to figure this out. 
But how many are waiting for a word that says, on the surface it all looks evil, but I've got a plan underway right here. That, and our job is to say, not on earth as it is in the firmament or in the, it is in the second heaven or as it is in the place where the demons and angels are warring over principalities and powers and areas. That's not our job as prophetic voices. Our job is to say, on earth as it is in... What is he thinking? What is he doing? What does he want us to think? What does he want us to do? That's as simple as it gets. In the middle. For my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, has anybody got a season's pass to Mount Washington? And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Don't ever get those things mixed up. You've got seed to sow and bread to eat. Don't mix them up. If I have... If, if I had a dollar for every time someone said, Pastor, you've got to pray for me. I need a financial breakthrough. And the Lord gave them seed and bread, and they ate it all. Guess what happens? They come back. Pastor, you've got to pray for me again. I need more money. Last time you prayed, I got money. Come pray for me again. I need more money. The Lord provides graciously seed and bread, and they eat it both. God gives seed. By the way, that's why you've got to be tuned into the voice of God and why you've got to understand what he's saying in heaven because he's telling you what is seed and he's telling you what is bread. That's why we pray. That's why we commit our finances to the Lord by starting with our tithes. That's why we give offerings. Why? It's to remind us. Deuteronomy, I think it is, says to remind you to put God first in your life. That's what tithes are for. Say, what does God think about my money? If you don't tithe, you're not inviting God to tell you what to do with seed and bread. Tithing is an invitation to God to move in your world. Tithing is an offering of worship to God. Isaiah 55, 11, so is my word. Somebody say my word. That it goes out from my mouth, it will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose to which I sent it. So you're in the middle, hey? I guess you need a word. That was a perfect place to stop. Like we practiced it. She got the memo. I am so thankful every day for this young lady and everything she does in this house. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Today we're talking about in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the storm. That was a really long prequel. Man, oh man, I guess I might be preaching two times. Ramble, ramble. Luke 8, 22 says, Jesus said to his disciples, do we have this? We love doing this new reading technique. I'm going to read with you, and I'm going to stop reading. You're going to call out what I'm missing, all right? You ready? I learned this from uh, Dr. Manny and from... Dr. Malachi, which, by the way, Malachi and Jenna, happy one-year anniversary. It's party central here today. Party central here. Okay, let's read it out loud together. Let's stand and read the word with me. Come on, let's stand up all over this place. Let's stand and read the word. Let's shake it off here. Here we go. Here we go. One day, Jesus, to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. You don't have to read with me. You've got to just wait till I drop out. One day, Jesus, to his disciples, let us go over to the side of the lake. 
So they got into a and set out. As they, he fell, huh. a squall came down on the lake so that, it was in the, so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Next verse. Okay, let's preach that then. The disciples went and woke him saying, Watch, let's try it this way. Let's see if we can get this cleaned up a little bit. The disciples went and woke him saying, He got up and rebuked the wind and waves and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this guy? He commands even the wind and the waves and the water, and they obey him. You can be seated. May God add his blessing to the clumsy reading of his word. (laughs) If you're following along on our message notes, the first point is this, that the promise, the promise, we heard him speak. We heard him speak. Come on, somebody say the promise. We heard Jesus speak, so we set sail. Listen, one word from Jesus will change everything. It was a word from the Lord that caused us to move on and build this building. It was a word from the Lord that caused me to reach out multiple times to pray for people and they were healed. It was a word from God that showed me that Lindsay was my lady. It was a word from God that gave us the direction. It was a word from God that gave me this message today. It was a word from God that directed me to different places and different times in my life. Has anybody ever experienced having a word from God that caused you to start moving? It says, we heard him speak Right? They heard him. Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. So they said, all right. We heard him speak, so we went. We heard him speak. One word from God can change everything. But you need to remember something, that when God sends you, he also plans to sustain you. I love this when he says, why don't we stretch out to the other side? Why don't we go to the other side? It didn't say, let's go see how far we get. Right? Let's go see how far we get. Let's go see if we can make it two-thirds of the way. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side, guess where you're going? Come on now. Somebody in this place get some faith going. When Jesus says, go to the other side, get where you, guess where you're going? Listen, the word of God that sends us is the same word that needs to sustain us. Lots of times in my life, God will speak something into my spirit. Speak something into my spirit. And I'm motivated to step out in faith. And it's like the day after, I feel like I need another word because that one's starting to feel faint. I remind myself of the words that God speaks. I write them down. I keep them in a file. I I have a filing cabinet of prophetic promises in my brain. That filing cabinet's got some interesting drawers in it. You know, I, I do. Does anyone else have a filing cabinet in their brain? Come on now. How about the one that says, when I, when I see Jesus face to face, I've got this filing cabinet full of questions. I would never ask God a question. I would never doubt my God. You're full of doubt. Don't lie. You're sitting there trying to act like you have all the faith in the way you don't. You're struggling to keep it all organized. 
Your faith, you got faith. By the way, we all have been given a measure of faith. It just depends on what we're using it on. We'll get to that in a minute. So I have this filing cabinet. Why didn't this happen? Why did this happen? Did I miss this? Did I do? I've got a big filing cabinet. And guess what? I really believe that when we, when we see Jesus, when we step into that eternal reward, that we're going to have closure. But I heard one guy, a theologian, say this. But it's not going to be boring. We're still going to have mystery. Except mystery is going to be normal. See, on earth, the people who overcome are comfortable with mystery. Overcomers and victorious believers are okay with not knowing all. Come on now. If you're not okay with mystery, you're going to get stuck in the middle of the lake. It says they went out over the lake. Mystery. Number two, the process. Watch me preach fast. The process. Come on, somebody say the process. First we said the promise. We heard him speak. The process. Ready? We thought we'd die. Has anybody ever stepped into a process before where they thought they'd die? Come on now. And you got to think about these poor fishermen. These dudes were not like, you know, our friends with their new boat. You know, a little bit of time, some boating experience, pretty good on a boat, all those things. These were like those lobster guys in Alaska, those f- crab fishermen. What's that thing called? Deadliest catch. These guys were career fishermen. I don't know about you, but if I was like the dude that wasn't a part of the team, but I hitched a ride like it was my only chance to get to the other side, I saw Jesus and these guys getting a boat and they were compassionate enough to let me in. And I'm seeing Jesus sleeping. And the deadliest, the cast from Deadliest Catch screaming that they're going to die. It's almost like watching the news at night in Canada. The process. Nobody likes the process. Right? Man, I've got all these phrases in my head right now, but you can see my eyes moving. I'm like, nope, not that one today. No, not that one today. Do not say that on the microphone. Do not say that when it's being recorded. Do not say that when it's being live. The process. Oh, wish I could say it. Fine. It's fun making babies. It's hard raising them. The process is hard. It's difficult. These guys jump in a boat. They get a word from God. Where are we going to go? And it was smooth sailing. Some translations say it was actually smooth. So they fell asleep. Jesus fell asleep. And they're going along. They probably sounded like Newfoundlanders singing choir. They were like doing their thing. And, and they're singing and they're rowing and they're pulling and they're doing their thing. And all of a sudden, a squall comes up. It turns gnarly. And they thought they'd die. And this is what I want to let you know today. There's this great phrase. I didn't write it. I learned it from someone else. You probably borrowed it from someone else. But that God didn't promise you smooth sailing. He promised you safe passage. And what happens when 
it changes when it goes from smooth to stormy is now we go from just thinking about um, hoping for smooth sailing and, and we start to start to call out and trust God for safe passage. And, and I want to tell you that when you get a word from the Lord, you've been, how many of us experienced prayer at a camp meeting where we felt the anointing of God over something, a destiny in our life? Like, honestly, there were so many anointed moments where people put their hands on my head, anointed me with oil and prophetic voices. And I'm telling you, to this day, this week again, prophetic words that are literally lining up, lining up, lining up with everyone. Every time Lindsay and I go somewhere, it's another one. Another voice calls something out that's destiny. It's huge. It's massive stuff that God's called Lindsay and I to. We know that. But we also have learned through process, through spending our life in the middle, that as exciting as it is to feel the presence of God rest on you with a calling or with a word or with some destiny on your life, we know how bad it might hurt. It's not easy. Somebody say in the middle. In the middle, there's a process where you might think you're going to die. Following Jesus doesn't mean smooth sailing, but it does guarantee safe passage. Here's one of the things we've got to get our heads around. And by the way, if you would like an accompanying support for this, the book Brainwashed by Manny Arango, he deals with this really, really well. He has a great line in there. He says that God doesn't stop turbulence. He's talking about fear flying. He uses it to stretch us and to stretch our capacity for chaos. And I, I wonder if there's a lot of us that are looking for when God puts his hand on our life that we won't have any chaos. I just think that there's always going to be chaos. So why don't we as the body of Christ become the best at dealing with such things? Come on now. You're like, I came to church so I could get away from the chaos. And now he's saying, I'm going to have more chaos. It'll be holy chaos. <laughs> There'll be a purpose to it. Fierce storms have a way of shifting our attention from the assignment, go to the other side, to the problem. Ah, we're going to die. And the enemy does everything he can in the midst of storms. You keep, you're going to probably wonder, why is he talking about the enemy in the storms? It's just a natural occurrence. I believe that demonic forces do work in earthly forces. And I believe that some of the things you're facing are because you are a problem. And some of the things you're facing is because the devil's a problem. And you probably don't have a battle with the devil. He's busy with other things right now. But one of his demonic minions might be working in your region. And chances are, they're not directly working with you as much as they're working with somebody that you've got a relationship with. Was it Lewis or Chesterton? It says there's two problems, two extremes. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, when you don't think enough about the devil, and the other one's when you think too much about the devil. Like somewhere in the middle is where Oasis City is. We don't start the meeting by going after and calling out demons because I'm here to talk about Jesus. That's what we're here to talk about. We, we'll, we only mention the enemy enough to put the crosshairs on him and blast him out of the water. We don't strive with demonic forces. But there's a very good chance that some of the stuff that's attacking you right now is because of a relationship you're in. Jezebel had to have an Ahab. 
Some of you are like, what's this guy doing this morning? I don't know. The enemy wants to steal what Jesus has said with storms. He wants to use storms to steal what he, Jesus said. you got a word on your life, and as soon as you hit a storm, you forget what Jesus promised. You forget that peace you felt. You forget that sense of, I've got destiny on my life. There's a storm. Now I'm, now I'm second-guessing. Don't second-guess. Trust the word you got in the beginning. It's meant to sustain you all the way to the other side. Amen. Amen. That's a good preaching, Pastor Brand. That's really good. It's really good. Here's another thing. Storms are not a sign of unbelief. Storms are not a sign of unbelief. I get on the plane. Like, I, I used to be afraid of flying. I used to be afraid of boats. I don't know if I, like, saw a Titanic kind of, like, reenactment or something when I was a little kid and it traumatized me. I, I'd, like, every time the, the bow thrusters would go on the old ferry, I'd be like, oh, we're going to die. I was like, <laughs> my parents learned to just feed me the whole way over there, and I was good, and that's why I grew so big. Anyway, <laughs> I was afraid of flying. Jordan used to have to hold my hand physically. Make it, make it go. Now, that wasn't when we were old. That was just once when we were little. But it actually happened. That'd be weird, eh? Two dudes sitting there. We're brothers. Anyway, um, uh, so I was afraid. I was traumatized, all those things, but the funniest thing is there's people, now when we fly, I just feel like I'm on a destiny flight every time I'm on it. And I'm like, I'm going somewhere important. And I just love it. Like, and I, and I realize there's days where, like, even the staff on the plane throw up and get sick. And those wouldn't be good. I don't want those. But I think that as time goes by, we learn to be more resilient. And we learn over time of walking through the middle that that word that God gave in the beginning will come through in the end. And it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what family says. It doesn't matter what friends say. It doesn't matter if you've got a word from God. You can take it to the bank. You're going to the other side. You're going to the other side. And so it might get bumpy on the plane, right? Yeah. Just don't be like Pastor Lindsay when she decided... I'm going to go to the bathroom now if it seems like a good time. She got into that little cubicle you can hardly turn around in. Shut the door. And all of a sudden, the seatbelt signs all went on. And and I'm sitting in there, and, and, and all, I, all I could do was this. She was all about having new experiences. This is a thing, a goal for this year, 2023, was all about new experiences. And then because this is Oasis, I can say this too. She looked over and realized someone had thrown up in the sink. And it wasn't her. It wasn't her. So now you've got this experience where you're tight, you're scared, all the things. And there's this. How many love plane bath, airport, airline bathrooms? Come on. Come on. How many love them? They're like, amen. Storms are not a sign of unbelief. Uh, fear. I want, to, I want to just bring this to the, to the table here. Jesus didn't say, you need to have faith. Hey, you guys, you suck at faith. Hey, you guys, you shouldn't do this. What he said was, where is your... Which, by implication, means they had some. I love what Dr. Manny says. You don't say, where is your llama, if you don't have one. Where is your car, 
Where is your where is your faith? Can I say that to you right now? Look at your neighbor and say, where is your faith? Look at your neighbor and say, where is your faith? Where is your faith? You have some. You have more faith than you know. But listen, belief and imagination are fuel for faith. Belief and imagination are fuel for faith. That's why when demonic strongholds are broken, we can cast down imaginations and then strongholds break. Why is that an important uh, verse in the Bible? Why is that an important teaching to the New Testament church? Why? Because in order for us to be a faith-filled, purpose-driven, motivated by the fire of God church, we are going to have to have sanctified, worked on by God, sharpened by God, clarified by God imaginations. Back to the beginning of the sermon. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Faith relies on an imagination that is sanctified. And it operates on imagination, on on being able to picture what God is doing in your life and to be able to take hold of it. They're fuel for imaginations. Or sorry, fuel for faith. Belief and imagination are fuel for faith. Belief. Faith can work for you or against you. And I don't think many of us think that way, do we? I'm a person of faith. I have, I'm a person of faith. Are you a follower of Jesus? Well, and all I want to say is, your faith is working against you. Faith in Jesus requires faith in nothing else. Now, I understand, like, I go to the dentist, I hope the freezing works. I I get that whole piece. Like, for the sake of teaching, how many would agree that you really can't say your faith is, you're going to be fruitful in the faith life with Jesus if you're also trying to have faith in Buddhism? Is there any, are there any Christians in here? Come on, let's go, let's go. There's about, like, being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, let's just use the word Christian. A true Christian is born again of the Spirit, saved, set free, and delivered, justified, and being sanctified. This is what the process is about. This is the middle. Okay? Now, you have to understand this. It is about spiritual monogamy. My wife would not put up with any other lovers. Why? Because we've chosen holy matrimony. Holy. Some of what's being called matrimony is not holy anymore. But we've chosen holy marriage and monogamy and all of the things that go with that and all the processes and all the struggles and all the joy and all the blessing. Amen. 25 years this Tuesday for us. It's going to be a big... In the freedom class, we talk about the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do you have the mind of Christ, the tree of life? See, what what Satan likes to do is he likes to bait us into offering us control of an area that we could never have control over. He says, I I can give you control. That's what happened in the garden. Here's another piece of it. You know, the process, we thought we'd die. Well... What about the idea that a sound mind is a promise from God? A sound mind is a promise from God. See, peace and anxiety, anxiety, I, I would propose to you, and this is, this is the way we're going we're gonna to look at it. 
Anxiety is just misplaced faith. And I heard it said by Dr. Manny, it was the most phenomenal. He rocked the room. He said, the reason you have anxiety is because you have an imagination. Because you're creating a story where something terrible is going to happen, where you lose. But I want to encourage every person who has been saved by the blood of Jesus and the resurrection powers in your life to start to imagine a reality where he wins, where you win, where he helps you to overcome, where he brings dead things to life. See what I'm saying? And so anxiety and fear both can govern your mind, but not at the same time. And sometimes when I get in the middle of the storm, which happens frequently in my life, and I know there's some of you that are battling some health things, you're battling some marriage things, you're battling some business things. When I get, find myself in the middle of another storm, I've started just to remind myself of the last thing Jesus said before he went to sleep, before he went silent. And instead of panicking and saying, I need a new word, I just look and say, I remember when you said, let's go to the other side. So what is the word that you heard before it went quiet? What is the word you received before it went quiet? Now, I'm thankful for the mercy of God. For those of you looking for a scripture to write down, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Can we put that up? When you read it in context, you say, I thank God. Paul's writing to Timothy, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. I, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. Amen. The last thing, the purpose, we stand amazed. The purpose, we stand amazed. Welcome to storm school, everybody. See, he's teaching us to walk in authority. Listen to what he said. He spent 40 days teaching them the gospel of the kingdom. He knew that there, look at this, kingdom DNA runs through these veins. That's what my shirt says. He spent time teaching the kingdom. We're stuck at John 3.16, spinning our wheels, thankful for salvation, but going nowhere. God so loved the world, brother, he gave his only son, whoever believed will not perish, have eternal life. Amen. Just so you know, that life started the day you became a believer. It's not starting when you die. Come on now. And the gospel of the kingdom requires us <laughs> to learn to walk in the authority he gave. Remember that little message about keys of the kingdom? Binding and loosing? Authority? I've given you power over the devil? Do you remember that lesson? Yeah. So now that you're in the middle of a storm, why are you crying out, we're going to die, church? See, they were just learning it. We've learned it. 
They were just experiencing it. We've experienced it. We can read this story and it's enough. But Jesus is about to show them something that they could not see anywhere else. They're going to see how they should operate in authority. Welcome to storm school. See, in all of the middle, between the pain and the promise, is a process. In the middle, in the process, he's teaching us about authority. But authority flows out of us. Not through the storm to us. He's teaching us that first we need to develop authority over the storms in us. And then we can have authority over the storms around us. He's teaching us how to take authority. Think about this for a minute. In the span of just a few minutes, they saw Jesus in his humanity. He was tired. He fell asleep listening to the conversation of the rowboat. And his deity, when he woke up from a deep sleep and rebuked the wind and rebuked the waves. Somebody said, I don't know why I has to talk to water that way. That's just natural. I think he was rebuking. And because of that language rebuked, we understand that the devil had an assignment. I would propose to you that the devil actually had an assignment on that boat. He said, I've got Jesus and every father of the church in one place at one time. I could take this whole thing down right now. I could end this thing. And that's why when Jesus gets up, he says... I rebuke you, demonic attack on this thing. I rebuke you. That's why when I hear people talking about almost like deifying nature, C.S. Lewis, I'm going to quote lots of people today. C.S. Lewis talks about love for nature is great until it's not great, until it becomes idolatry. Love for one's nation in the same writing he writes, love for one's nation is great. We need to clean up our nation first, right? Hello? You can have a messy house, but I'm going to clean mine up and do my dishes and make sure there's no mold in the fridge, and then I'll come over and help you. Hello? And you can have all the opinions in the world, but you will not hear us talk about other churches in this church unless it's like home church, way to go for building a new church. You're not going to hear us ridicule or criticize other churches in this church. Why? Because our responsibility is to make sure there's no mold in the fridge here. Our job is to vacuum our own floor. Our job is to create a loyal group of family that are here that can move mountains. That's our job. Their job is to do that in their context. Come on. Authority flows out. First, you get authority over things in your own life. That's why I would highly recommend that you find things in your life, outward things in your life that become spiritual disciplines. See, I don't want to talk about making my bed every day because it's a leadership thing. It's actually a spiritual discipline for me. And if I went three days without making my bed, my wife should be worried about what's going on in my world. It's just an outward sign of something's happening inside. 
The rebuke shows that Satan was probably had a plan of ministry to, to, to end the ministry of Jesus and his team. <laughs> but in my notes on the plane while I'm typing away on my thumbs, mostly one thumb, I'm terrible at texting. I just wrote this line, another Wiley Coyote moment. Does anybody know what Wiley Coyote is? Like this was like, like Jesus gets up from sleeping. Finally, he's asleep. I can drown them. <laughs> Anvil. Hanging across cliff, cliff. You know what I'm on. Here comes Roadrunner, which by the way, I saw Roadrunner. And he just stood there. He didn't run for me or anything on the golf course. He was just like, it's like looking for a coyote in the desert. Anvil. Jesus! We're going to die! Wakes up. I rebuke! <laughs> and it's like, I can just see the enemy like, the anvil always lands on him. He always blows himself up. He always does that. And can I just encourage you right now, you might feel like you're in the middle of a full frontal attack of the enemy. Just remember, he's Wiley Coyote, and every believer in Jesus is the roadrunner. All right. Psalm 98, 89, sorry. Psalm 89, verse 8 says, Who is like the Lord? I'm way over. God Almighty. You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Verse 89, verse 9 says, You rule over the surging sea. Do you see that? When its waves mount up, you still them. See, I propose to you that when Jesus said, let's go to the other side, it's not about getting to the other side. It was a lesson about authority that they were going to learn in the middle of the lake. And every journey we go on with Jesus is setting us up with authority that we need for the next journey. So, if you feel like you just broke through, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. He's going to just call you to go, let's go up to another side. Let's go over here. If you're here today and you've yet to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, to receive his gift of salvation, I want to invite you right now to do that. I want to invite you to receive the gift of Jesus, which started with the initiating love of God, shed over the earth by the, as a gift of the Father, his only Son, that came to love us before we loved him, that lived a sinless life, showed us the way to live and how to take authority, set us up for success, went to a cross and died in our place. We were all deserving of death. Suffered died, was put in a grave and three days later he rose and because of that resurrection power we have power and so if you want to become a Christian Jesus said it's great, I have a great plan for you, I have a great purpose for you no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what what how you identify, no matter any of the things, any of the things. This is the message for everybody. Man, woman, gay, straight, rich, poor, and educated, uneducated. This is the, this is the world. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. This is the message. Jesus loves you. 
and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And then he invites us to the next step that every person, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter how much money, not money, all those things, no matter where you're from, around the world, same message. The only way to be saved is he said, now, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, pick up a cross, and die. But on the other side of dying for, to yourself and everything you think about yourself and everything you believe and everything you want is life. So that's why I believe there's people who come and they pray a prayer, they pray a prayer, they pray a prayer, nothing happens because they never died. They never picked up a cross. They never said, I'm willing to go where you call me, no matter what it costs me. I want to be your disciple. And we model ourselves after the one who came. And went to a cross. But you know what he says? If you die, I'll raise you up. What about my dreams to be a famous movie star? Die. He might raise you up. He will give you the desires of the heart. And a lot of times our selfish desires are over here because it wasn't really about that. It was about significance. And all of a sudden we find our significance in him. Come on now. So if that's you, say, Jesus, come into my life. I just want to follow you. I pick up my cross. I follow you today. Today's day one. I know it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. But there's going to be life on the other end of this. If that's you, say, today I decided to become a Jesus person. A Jesus freak born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled believer. Would you fill out a card and give it to us afterwards? Or come and talk to Pastor Jerry at the end of the service. He's ready to meet everyone who gives their life to Jesus today. All right? May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, and give you peace in the middle. See you next week, everybody. Thank you.